Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Happy Sabbath, everyone, and thank you, Sophia and Elaine, for that special, special music. I've been blessed. We've been preached at. That's great. Thank you. What a great blessing to have this special family, Daniel and Benefil and their girls with us for this year. I pray and hope that you'll be here for more, but, you know, God leads you where he sends you, so um, we're so grateful to have you for this time here. And um, yes, welcome to Middletown Seventh Adventist Church. I see um, a good number of new faces here and visiting with us. This is exciting. This is exciting. So it feels like last uh, Sabbath we broke the ice, and now we have more people every Sabbath attending our church. And uh, if you're here for the first time, or if you're if you tuned in for the first time in our YouTube channel. I want to bring you up to speed to where we are here at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. And no, I'm not referring to our challenges. I'm referring to our sermon series. <laughs> uh, about three weeks ago, um, I've uh, uh, realized that uh, we... Um, oops. Uh, I have problems with... Uh, yes, all right. Um, Challenges that we, 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 we've been having in our nation, in our church as a denomination, uh, in our Christianity. And the challenges we've been faced with are to taken seriously. And the best way to start is with our own spirituality. And after all, you know, we're, we're a church community. We're not a social club. We're not uh, a, a science group or a political party. Uh, we are God's people. We are His church. And as I indicated in the introduction of this series, that in our own wisdom, with our own efforts, facing these challenges, we will be overcome. That's no question about it. But there is a power, a power that has been given to us 2,000 years ago, and sadly enough, most Christians don't use it. This power is greater than any hydroelectric plant, power than any power plant of any kind. It is the power, do you know what that is? The power of the Holy Spirit. In the last couple of months, We've been bombarded with lots of information, with a lot of opinions, with a lot of solutions. The reality is we don't have time and we don't have the means to check it all out. We don't have time or the means to research and investigate who's right and who's wrong, who tells the truth and who doesn't, who's trying to manipulate and who's trying to lead the right direction. Just as the banker doesn't learn of every fake dollar, 
they learn the true one and everything else they throw aside. The good news, there is a way to find out and to discern what is truth, what is right, and where you need to be. And that is only to when we are filled, when we are guided by the Holy Spirit. Last Sabbath, we looked at the different angle to this topic of the Holy Spirit. We learned of the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, plural, fruit, singular, of the Spirit. So I'm just giving you a, 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 a brief uh, synopsis of last uh, week's sermon. When we allow the Holy Spirit to infill us, our life produces the fruit of the Spirit. And it includes all nine qualities mentioned by Paul in Galatians 5, 23 So you don't have to say, well, I'm, I'm praying for my patience, or I am praying to, I'm working on my kindness, or I'm working on my faithfulness. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit has one fruit, and just like I, I had it on a previous screen, what is, oops, what's going on here? It's, it's only a cluster, it's a fruit that includes all nine qualities, and I really practice that in my life, and it really works. When you pray for the fruit of the Spirit, God gives you all of them. It gives you love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, faithfulness, uh, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law, Paul says. None of us can produce this fruit without the infilling of the Spirit. Yes, we can work hard to have one or more of the qualities, but to have them all and to live that life that glorifies our Father in heaven is only through the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our life. And do you remember how we do it? Consecrate yourself to God in the morning, make this your very first work and let your prayer be. Consecrate yourself in the morning. And we actually ended our last sermon with this particular surrender prayer that you find it in Steps to Christ, page 70, written by inspiration by Ellen White. Take me, O Lord, as holy, holy yours. I lay all my plans at your feet. Use me today in your service. Abide with me and let all my work be done in you. That's the prayer we make to God every morning. You can use your own words or you can use this particular form. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that you surrender and ask for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and you believe it. She goes on in the following line, following paragraph to say, oops, I'm having problem with my remote control today. Oops. This is a daily matter. 
Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to Him to be carried out or given up as His providence shall indicate. Thus, by day by day, you may be giving your life into the hands of God, and thus your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. When do we ask the infilling of the Spirit? The very first thing in the morning. And not just in the morning. I shared with you last week what happened to me. Uh, um, I, you know, in the previous week, uh, in, in a couple of days, uh, right in the middle of the afternoon toward the evening, I felt depleted from the power, and I needed more. And I looked back into the situation, I studied more, and I talked with some people that experienced the Holy Spirit in their life for, the, uh, for years, and I realized that the early church was praying for the infilling of the Spirit three times a day. I followed that pattern this week, and it works. I can tell you that from experience. It works. Today, we're going to, uh, we're going to explore two understandings that are vital for your life, for your spiritual life, and for your eternal life. Two vitally essential understandings. Let's bow our heads once again. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us so far today. I pray that you will take over our service and our, our message today. I pray that you will open our hearts and we surrender this service to you and we ask that you fill this sermon, this service with your spirit and that we let you guide and drive our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Understanding and experiencing the infilling of the Holy Spirit is second in importance only to understanding and accepting Christ as our Savior. Pastor Dennis Smith has been studying and practicing the infilling of the Holy Spirit for over two decades now. He has spoken and led many people to know these two understandings all over the country and even beyond. What are the two understandings essential for the Christian life? Number one is understanding and accepting Jesus as your Savior. And number two, understanding and experiencing the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I am positive that I know your statement of faith on the first one. Did you have an understanding of your need for a Savior? What has been your testimony into becoming a Christian? Last week, we witnessed the baptism of two young men who committed their life to Jesus through baptism. Is, is, is water baptism necessary in our Christian spiritual journey? Certainly so. How about baptism of the Holy Spirit? Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, said this, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, in order to make it to his kingdom, into his kingdom, you and I must be baptized of the water and of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the difference, you may ask? I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to explore today. In 1982, I remember I was in a youth Sabbath school class, that's Sabbath, and I decided to be baptized. I made a choice to be baptized with the water. In the Bible, the baptism, this type of baptism is called the baptism of repentance. I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, and literally, I cleaned house. I did a deep searching inventory of my life, as deep as one can do at 15. I was intentional about being ready to make a public commitment to Jesus. I repented of all my sins. See, repentance is turning away from my sinful behaviors and surrendering my life to God. I let go of everything that I knew stands in the way between me and God. In that same process of preparation for baptism, I made confession to all whom I was aware that I did wrong. God, other people like my parents, my brother, neighbors. And I studied the Bible in the baptismal class, and on June 7, 1986, at 11.53 a.m., I remember that to this day. I get chills when I tell you this. I got baptized. I will never forget that awesome experience of baptism. I felt ready to be lifted and transported to heaven. I'm sure that's how Braden and Sebastian felt last week, right? It's the most exciting and the most meaningful experience in the Christian life. That's why some people who have been baptized already, but because they went through some dark valley in their life, through a low spiritual time in their life, and walked away from God, or because they never experienced baptism by immersion in their churches. When they learn from the Scriptures how we teach it in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they decide to get rebaptized. It's all right to be rebaptized. There are Seventh-day Adventists who actually been baptized and and rebaptized because they need to experience again that genuine repentance in their life. That's what the water baptism is all about. Is that symbol of dying to the old self, dying to the old life as you get into the water and be resurrected to a new life as you come out of that water, the newness of living with Christ, with Jesus again. And I know if you're watching or attending here today, you may say, Pastor Marius, I got a question for you. I've been a Christian all my life. 
but I've never been baptized. Because in my church, they don't do that. Or they practice a different form of baptism. What should I do? Well, I'll let Jesus talk to you just as he talked with Nicodemus. This is what Jesus says to you today. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So yes, Jesus says it is necessary that you experience repentance and confession before you enter his kingdom. What's even more fascinating for the majority of us as Christians or Seventh-day Adventists, is that we experience the baptism of repentance, but we never experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, it is necessary. Both are necessary. I highlighted that with yellow on the screen. Both the water and the Spirit baptism. Why? Well, as I was pondering upon this this week, you know what's funny? God has a sense of humor. He gave me a, a, an object lesson so that I can understand this. Um, see, the baptism of water is the cleaning, while the baptism of the Spirit is the filling. I had a dentist appointment Tuesday afternoon. I inherited some bad genes when it comes to my teeth. So I had a problem with one of my tooth, the third molar. I went to see the dentist, and you know, it would have been nice to just fill that cavity they found in there, quick and easy, right? I wish it was that simple. Well, I ended up with a root canal. I didn't plan on that. I ended up with one. See, in order for my tooth to be healthy and function the way it was designed, it first needed to be cleaned. And wow, it was painful. It hurt. I had to trust the dentist completely to clean every single impurity he could find. And I tell you, he went deep into that tooth. Now, what if, what if after cleaning it all out, what if the dentist would have said, Marius, you're good to go. Just leave that tooth alone. It's all cleaned now. Oh, yes, it is. How about that hole? How about filling it up? Filling it in. See, after cleaning it thoroughly through a process that involves, get this, it involves an effort on the part of the dentist and a total submission on the part of the patient. After all that was done, he got the best material he had and filled that tooth so that I can now chew my food healthily. You see the point. Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is good to be born of the water, to be baptized with the baptism of repentance, to surrender your life to Jesus. It is good to repent and confess your wrongs to those whom you hurt or done wrong. It is good to let go of yourself, to let go of your things, to clean house. But if you stop there, 
Being baptized of the water is not enough to get you into the kingdom of God. There are two works of the Spirit in the Christian life. The conviction or conversion work at water baptism and the infilling of the Spirit to give power to live a victorious life and be a witness for God. See, if my tooth was left empty, soon it will get worse. This explains why we wonder sometimes how some Christians do things that blow our minds, right? Why? Because all they had was the baptism of the water. They never received or experienced the infilling of the Spirit to help them live a victorious life. Or they lost the infilling of the Spirit. That can happen too. Those of us who grew up as Christians, or Seventh-day Adventist Christians, I should say, we are well aware of two outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We learn in Acts of the first outpouring, or the beginning of the outpouring of the Spirit, on the day of the Pentecost. And we call that the early rain. We're also aware of the outpouring of the Spirit in the last days, in greater measure, and we call that the latter rain. What we don't realize is that the latter rain will not fall on those who have not received the early rain. All who will benefit from the latter rain of the Holy Spirit must, ex must have experienced the early rain baptism of the Holy Spirit in their lives. In Testimony to Ministers and Gospel Workers, page 506 and 507, Ellen White writes this. Many have in great measure failed to receive the former rain. They have not obtained all the benefits that God has thus provided for them. They expect the lack will be supplied by the latter rain. They are making a terrible mistake. In other words, the infilling of the Spirit is necessary to take place before the power of the Holy Spirit is released upon the believer in the last days. I'm excited about that because that's our opportunity. Why is that necessary? We learned it last week, by the way. Those of you who attend for the first time, you can go back and listen to that. We learned last week, when we are filled with the Spirit on a daily basis, when Jesus lives, lives in us and through us, through His Holy Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Is it important to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, it is. Jesus said this, By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So when we are filled with His Spirit, we bear much fruit, He says. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. We bear that fruit of the Spirit. And two things happen as a result of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Two things. 
We glorify our Father in heaven, and we show that we are His disciples. Unlike my tooth that was filled once, and I hope it will be good for the rest of the time until Jesus comes, um, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a daily experience. Um, Let me tell you what happens when you don't do it in the morning or for either neglect or forgetfulness. Pam and I, we've been doing this since the beginning of the the month. This past week, one morning, I had to do a hospital visit early in the morning. And since I left early, rushed to go to the hospital, I did not take the time to sit down and specifically plead with God for the infilling. And well... The rest is the story. It wasn't the best day of my life. That's just simple as that. Dwight Moody, referring to the daily need for the infilling of the Spirit, wrote this. A great many think because they have been filled once, they're going to be full all the time. But, oh, my friends, he says, we are leaky vessels. And have to be kept right under the fountain all the time in order to keep full. If we do not daily seek Him and cooperate in in following where He leads us, His power will wane and our Christian experience will weaken. My friends... We must renew this in feeling every single day. The dying of self and in feeling of the Spirit is a daily experience. It's not a once and for all experience. Apostle Paul tells us that the inward man is renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4.16 We need the renewing of the Spirit every day in our lives. In fact, Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Ephesian church, says uh, uh, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And when you look at your original Greek, what he really means is uh, you, you need to keep on being filled with the Spirit daily. Keep on being filled, continuous. Continuous action. Apostle Paul shares his personal testimony of the importance of being filled with the Spirit. He says he, 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 ha- he has an opinion because he looked at his life and he realized that wherever fills you, whatever dwells in you, that will drive your life. And in Romans 7, he tells what happens when sin dwells in us. Romans 7, beginning with verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Then if you scroll down 
to verse 20, he says, Now, if I do what if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Wow. In other words, if you, if you let your flesh drive you, you will live by the desires of the flesh and you will sin. It is almost guaranteed. You have no other choice but to sin when sin dwells in you rather than the Spirit. And he's so upset with this condition that he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ our Lord. And then he goes on to write in the next chapter, chapter 1, Romans uh, chapter 8, Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk, who live how? Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you want to be free of sin and death? Live a life driven by the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 4 he says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And get this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So this is the difference. If Walking according to the flesh, our minds are set on the things of the flesh. And in Galatians 19, uh, 5, 19-21, he explains it. He defines it. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of anger. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. These are the, the works of the flesh. Well, verse 21, oops. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you, Paul says, I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Obviously, they will not inherit the kingdom of God because Jesus said, you got to be baptized of both the water to repent of some, such things, baptism of repentance, to repent of them and continually be filled with the Spirit to live a victorious life against these things. And, such, and so you will have the fruit of the Spirit. Romans 8, 
verse 5 again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. Set your mind on those things. That's what it means to set your mind on heavenly things. And we can only do that when we are filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Ellen White, on the book that she wrote on the life of Christ, which is one of the most powerful books ever written on the life of Jesus. It's called Desire of Ages. On page 173, she writes this. When the Spirit of God takes possession of the heart, it transforms the life. Sinful thoughts are put away. Evil deeds are renounced. Love, humility, and peace take the place of anger, strife, envy, and strife. Joy takes the place of sadness, and the countenance reflects the light of heaven. Wow! Catherine Marshall, who wrote many books, in her book, A Man Called Peter, writes about her experience being baptized with the Holy Spirit and how it transformed her life. She said this, Since at that time I had no group to lay hands on me, by the way, you don't have to have that. Listen to what she says. Very quickly and dramatically, I asked for the Holy, for the gift of the Spirit. The setting was my bedroom, with no other human being present. I knew, too, that when we accept one of the heaven's gifts like that, so quietly in the now, we cannot demand instantaneous proof that the Lord has heard and answered. For that would be walking by sight, not by faith at all, she says. I know that although I should not deny their validity, I should guard against demanding a highly emotional or dramatic experience as initial proof of my baptism of the Spirit. And this is what she, she shares. The first day, she said, the first day, nothing overt happened. I experienced no waves of liquid love or ecstatic joy, she says. But then, in the next few days, quietly but surely, the heavenly guest made known his presence in my heart. And as she asked for the infilling of the Spirit day by day, she says, day by day came the evidence that after I, asked, after I had asked the helper to enter and take charge, he had done exactly that. And listen how it happened. It was a gradual experience. 
She discovered the manifestation of his presence on which the spirit places highest value is the power to witness effectively to others of Jesus Christ. So her first proof that she was baptized was with the Holy Spirit, she was a powerful witness. And then she then say he then entered into my prayer life and began directing that. He became the major agent, with capital A, in my writing. In the months that followed, and indeed in the years that followed, he would methodically bring one area of life after another under his control. Health, finances, ambition, reputation. I soon realized, Catherine says... I soon realized that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was no one-time experience, rather a process that would continue throughout my lifetime. Wow. I know myself, I would like to give the Holy Spirit permission to take over every area of my life and help me produce the fruit of the Spirit each and every day. If that's your decision also, if you're home or if you're here, would you stand wherever you are and read this commitment out loud as I did last week as a way of allowing Jesus to enter your life through the Holy Spirit? Let's read it together. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen.